0: I have been in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 for a number of weeks and last Sunday we looked at chapters 5, 6, and 7. Today we're going to look at chapter 8 and thus far through 1 Corinthians we've been looking at the Corinthian church and some of the struggles and some of the problems they've had. They often end up having conflict with other people and unfortunately it still happens in today's world. Emo Phillips uh, is a Christian comedian, and a number of years ago, he had a conversation with a complete stranger. And, uh, and he asked this person, this complete stranger, in the course of the conversation, Are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And his newfound friend said, I'm a Protestant. And Phillips said, Me too. And he asked the question, He said, Well, what franchise? What franchise? And his newfound friend said, Baptist. And Emil Phillips said, me too, I'm a Baptist. Northern Baptists are Southern Baptists. And uh, the fellow said, Northern Baptist. And Emil Phillips said, me too. And then he said this, he shouted, or he, he, he said, he, he, said uh, he asked him, he said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879, or, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. His new friend replied, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And Emo Phillips replied, Die, you heretic. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, I, I, I'm serious. I'm serious right now. When we, when, we read, when we read what was happening in the Corinthian church, it just makes you stand up and take notice. They were not not giving along with one another, and there was often selfishness and rudeness, and, and uh, there was quarreling and slandering, among other things, and sometimes they weren't even that supportive of the Apostle Paul's leadership. In addition, as we saw last week in chapter 5, 6, and 7, they have become complacent as far as sexual immorality. But despite these sins, the Apostle Paul continues to try to address disunity in the Corinthian church. And, uh, and he never gave up on the Corinthian church. He always had great confidence that they could turn the corner, so to speak, that they could become better people uh, because of Christ working their life and more mature. Well, in today's text, the Apostle Paul discusses the extent, the extent of Christian liberty, the extent of Christian liberty, Christian freedom in light of a weaker weaker believer. In, In other words, should our freedom... Should the freedoms that we have in Jesus Christ be hindered any iota because a weaker brother or weaker sister has a so-called weaker conscience? We have all of these Christian freedoms, and should we allow their weaker conscience to hinder our lifestyle and the freedoms? That we have. This is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you're not there, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and pull out those message notes this morning. Let me just give you some background here on chapter 8. In the Corinthian society, people sacrificed animals. They sacrificed animals to all of these deities, to all of these gods. And each one of these deities and gods in that particular society had a temple the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, Poseidon, Athena, Hermes. And all of these people in that Corinthian society went to these various temples and they sacrificed animals. And they usually had a sheep or a goat or a lamb or some sort of other animal. And what would happen is the worshiper would come into these temple areas and they would put the animal up on the altar there and then the priest would secure the animal there and then symbolically, they would take out a knife and they would run it from head to tail behind this animal and they would be saying some sort of incantations. And then the worshiper would, through written prayers, and, and, and say these prayers out loud, read their prayers, say it out loud, and there was music often playing the background. It could be a flute. It could be a, uh, some sort of instrument. And then the priest, at an appropriate moment, would take out a huge hammer and they would come down as hard as they could and they would hit the back of the head of this animal, driving it to its knees and then they would pull out a sharp knife and they would slit the throat of the animal and all this blood would come out and that was part of their sacrifice to these deities and to these gods. And afterwards, they did three things with the meat left over. Usually, they took out the internal organs and they put them on the altar and they burned them as a sacrifice. Or, and, and then number two, the worshiper took some of the meat, and believe it or not, they went to an adjacent kitchen area. They had kitchen areas affiliated with these temple areas, and so they took it to this kitchen area, this social area, this cafeteria area you might want to say, where they barbecued the meat and they had a party afterwards. And the third thing that they did with the leftover meat is that the temple priests would take a portion of it and then they would go sell it to the butchers in Corinth. So all three things happened to their particular sacrifices. The problem is, is that the Apostle Paul realizes that most of these Gentile converts to Christianity came from this background. From childhood to adulthood, they have been going to the local temples and they have been participating in the sacrifice to these deities and they have been socializing afterwards, eating meat. However, as new Christians, even though they no longer sacrificed to these animals and even though they no longer participated in this manner, they, there were still people who said... You should not set one foot back in the temple area. You shouldn't socialize with those people that do, and you shouldn't eat that meat at all, even if you buy it from the butcher shop, because that meat has been dedicated and been sacrificed to that particular deity. But there were other Christian believers who said, I don't have a problem with eating meat sacrificed to idols. Because I know that that meat is just meat and I know that those idols don't mean anything and it should not bother me. And so there's a conflict between those two groups of people over this eating of meat that's been sacrificed to the idol. Now, why, why, again, is this such a problem? Why is there such a conflict? Well, did you know that in every culture, in every culture, there is significant meaning in, in, in the food we eat, the music that we listen to, the hobbies that we pursue, and the interests. And I can make a list of things that we all participate in that aren't that religious, so to speak, that don't have really a Christian background or whatever it may be. And many of us would go down the list and say, that's wonderful, that's great, that's okay, that's okay, that's wonderful. But there some of us would say, that's too far. I can't participate that. My conscience tells me that it's a wrong thing to do those particular things that you have the freedom to do. While other people say, well, I have the freedom to do those things. And so in every culture, in every single age there is, we have individuals who say, can we do that? Or no, we can't do that. Whatever it may be. And so this is exactly where the Corinthian world was at. So in the early church, again, one of the things that was problemat- problematic was is that they were buying and selling meat that had been dedicated or offered to a sacrifice. And uh, not only were the individual people doing this, but they were having these festivals. It would be like a 4th of Jul- July celebration. They were having these festivals, and all of these people of all of the city got together because they wanted to celebrate to their various gods. It was very polaristic and syncretic, syncretic, so all their various gods, the blessings, You know, God has, their gods had provided all the harvest blessings and their prosperity. The seed of Corinth had 200,000 freemen and 500,000 slaves, and all those freemen were rich in fat cats. And they thought that these God, various gods had done it. So they not only had the individual sacrifices and worships, but they had these festivals that often people went to and participated in. I guess it would be kind of like, uh, you might say like, Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, when people get together, there's a big celebration or it'll be like a a tailgate party before a college football game or whatever it may be. And so there was a lot of socializing going on and happening and, and occurring. Well, the problem is, again, for many of these Gentile believers is that so much of that former life was symbolized in that sensuality and in that opulence and in that lifestyle of idolatry that they did not want anything to do with it. They got completely away from it. And the question again becomes, what do we do about this? And the problem is, is that for some folks, they would like to have a hamburger or a steak every once in a while. They would like to have a hamburger or a steak every once in a while, so to speak. And it became such a dispute in the church, because some people said, no, absolutely not. You've left that life behind and you can't go back and why do those things? While others were saying, come on, it's really more of a cultural thing than a religious thing, and it's not hurting us, and it's not hurting anybody to buy the meat and to eat the meat and to socialize with those people. And when I look at this particular text this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I think of Four different groups of people. I think of four different groups of people, and in just a moment, we're going to look at this passage of scripture. But let me just tell you the first group. The first group is is the unbeliever, the unbeliever, or at best, the very, very, very immature believer. These folks eat the meat. These folks have grown up eating meat, they don't think anything wrong with eating the meat, and to think that other people would have a conscience against it and that that should prevent them from eating meat, they say... Let those folks stay out in left field because that's where they belong. I don't care. Nobody's going to restrict me. Nobody's going to restrict my freedoms. I am absolutely free to eat meat, and I've always eaten meat, and this is just part of my culture. And uh, yes, I may not sacrifice those idols anymore, but don't hinder me whatsoever. And these are the very, very immature folks. These are the people who don't have a problem with it from the day one. And they may have given their life to Christ, and they may not have given their life to Christ. They still may be unsaved. But whatever it may be, you might want to say that they still are, in some way or another, bound by sin. Still a slave to sin. Now, I want you to get this. In our culture, in our world, it looks like a life of freedom a life of absolute freedom. In fact, it, it really what they're talking about resembles more of the 21st century culture because people often have thrown out any imposition, anybody telling them what they want to do. Don't tell me what to do. This has been part of my family. This has been part of my life. And this is exactly what I'm going to do regardless of tells me if it's right or wrong. I'm going to interpret the Bible the way I'm going to interpret the Bible and how I want to interpret it. And we often think that freedom is believing that no one should tell us what to do or should put any restrictions whatsoever upon our lifestyle. Freedom means you have the right to do anything you want to do because of this rugged individualism that we've grown up in in the United States. Even if it hurts other people, I have a right to do what I want to do. But the Apostle Paul, for the Apostle Paul, it leads to an irony. It leads to an irony. Because that absolute freedom, that absolute position that those people take, for some sort of reason, often leads to slavery. I'm going to take my freedom to the nth degree. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to participate in all these things, and it often leads to slavery. The slavery and the bondage of sin. And so we often think, in this particular lifestyle, people do. Uh, that we're having this lifestyle of freedom but we really find out that we're in some sort of bondage, some sort of addiction to uh, sex, some sort of addiction to work, some sort of addiction to drugs or whatever it may be. And I end up having to take a pill over here for this and end up having to take a pill over here for this or over, over this. I end up having to drape to excess over here whatever it may be to cope, really. And what's happening is that, is that I become a slave to sin because I have this particular attitude. Now here's the second category. Here's the second category. The second category is is the immature believer, the immature believer who eats excuse me, who doesn't eat the meat. Their first group is the the unbeliever or the very, very immature believer, and the second group is is the person who does not eat the meat. But they're very immature. They're immature as well. Now here's why they don't eat the meat. Because they have left that life behind. They've been forgiven of their sins. They've been baptized. They've been cleansed. They are free from the past. They are free from the old lifestyle. They are free from their sins. But here is the potential problem. In leaving all that behind, they have a tendency to go toward rules and regulation and legalism. And so they're no longer slaves to sin, but now they become slaves to the law. They become slaves to the law. And so the immature believer doesn't eat the meat at all. They don't eat because all of their spirituality is now tied up with the life that they left behind. And what they are now doing, are what they used to do, or what they don't do, or what they shouldn't do, and now they are a non eat meeting household. I haven't had meat for 12 years. And I don't want the meat. And, you know, my, my grandma used to be a meat-eater. Can you believe that? God bless us. Oh, we were meat eaters one time. But my great grandmother, uh, she ate meat like crazy. Now this is what, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to get there. I know we're going to get there. He says, this is better. He says, this is better. This second group is better than the very, very immature believer or is better than the unbeliever. The second group is better than the very, very immature believer or or the unbeliever. Because they have been forgiven of their past. They've been cleansed of all unrighteousness. They are saved. They've been forgiven. They're saved. You know, they're not like the first group of people. They think about it. They've thought through it. And they realize that sacrificing meat to idols is wrong. And they don't want to be habitually bound by sin. But the problem now is that these folks become bound to the law. Self-imposed laws. And Jesus and Paul teaches that these people are still slaves. And they say, we're not slaves. Yes, you can become slaves to the law. You can become slaves to the law. A life, listen, a life focused on sin is just as bad as a life focused on the law. And a life focused on the law is just as bad as a life focused on sin. I'm so glad that God's word gives us the Ten Commandments. I'm so glad that we have scriptural principles to follow. I'm so glad that Jesus said, I've come to set you free. He's come to set us free. But there's more than just do's and don'ts. There's more than just being um, bound by the law. A lot of people get stuck there. They get stuck there. And uh, we know, if you've been around the church any, any length of time, we know that there was a period of time where the church often got stuck, free from sin but bound in in slavery to the law. I was raised, like a lot of you, in an evangelical church, a very conservative church, and uh, bless their hearts, wonderful people, gracious people, but they knew exactly what the do's and don'ts were. And they looked down their nose at you, and if you didn't follow the prescriptive rules of don'ts, you're out someplace in left field. Are you saying, Pastor Ron, we're not to have any rules or regulations? Or any? No, we have the Ten Commandments. We have the principles of God's Word. So I want to be forgiven of my past. I do want to be slavery to sin, but I don't want to be just stuck at as slavery to the law. Here's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about this morning. I'm thinking about the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story? Here you have two boys. You have two sons. They grow up in the same household. The father represents God the father. That's what the Bible says. The father in his story represents God the father. He is a person that is free, so to speak, from any type of uh, slavery to sin, any type of slavery to the law, but the two sons represent those two extremes. The one son, the younger son, says, give me my inheritance. Let me take off. And the Bible says he went to a distant country and he sold his wild oats. He didn't want to wait for his father to die. He got his inheritance early. And in the process, he began to do everything he wanted to do. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I'm going to sleep around who I want to sleep with. I'm going to try all this alcohol. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to get involved in all this debauchery, and I'm free, I'm free, I'm going to live this lifestyle. He ran out of money and realized that the hired help ate better than he did. A Jewish Orthodox boy ended up feeding the pigs, eating pig slop, and he realized all his freedom did was let him into the slavery of sin. And so the Bible says he came to his senses in that condition and he went back to his father's household. And I would like to think that his father saw him at a distance. I would like to think that his father, when he saw him at a distance, did not wait for the son to come to him. But I would like to think the father, representing God the father, ran to his son and embraced him and loved on him and forgave him because the son said, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. And this man, this father, representing God the Father, forgave him. This young man was forgiven. But there's a second son. While the first son was freed from the slavery sin, the second son began to gripe and complain. And I, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. Do you mind if I paraphrase a little bit? I might add a little bit, but I don't think I'm getting out of the context of the story. You gave him a party. You, 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 you did all this stuff for you. You gave him all the money. Here I am. I'm working so hard. and I'm trying to keep all the rules. and I'm trying to keep all the regulations. and I'm just working so hard to do all this. What's going on, Dad? What's happening, Dad? And I'm, it doesn't say this, but God representing, you know, this man representing God the Father. Hey, that's not... That's not what I wanted you to do. I don't want you to just be a slave to sin. I want you to be free from sin. And I want you to be free from rules and regulations for rules and regulations' sake. I want you to be free. So you have these two different groups of people, I believe, here in First Corinthians chapter 8. Bondage to the law or bondage to sin? They're both immature believers. And so we have this problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, the problem for Paul is that these immature believers in Corinth think that they're really mature. They think they're really mature. They think that they're really free. But the first one is in bondage to sin still, and the second one may be Free from sin, but they're in bondage to the law. There's a third group. There's a third group. For Paul, the third group are the mature believers who eat the meat. The first group ate the meat without even thinking about it. The second group chose not to eat the meat. But the third group are mature believers who eat the meat. Now, the true believer who eats, eats because, the, uh, eats because well, let's look at it in, in chapter 8, verses 4 and 6. Here we are in our text. So then about eating food, sacrifice to the idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there's no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, And for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Not everyone knows this. And in verse 8, look at it with me. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, or no better if we do eat. I've been free from the past. I've been free from legalism. And I have the freedom, this third group, the mature believer, I have the freedom to eat this meat because I understand that these idols are nothing. And meat is meat. They're nothing. And meat is meat. And it doesn't bother me to socialize with these individuals who still do their mumbo-jumbo, and who eat the meat at the temple sacrifice. Oh, it doesn't bother me to go out and buy meat that has been sacrificed to an idol at the butcher shop. Meat is meat. And I understand this. And I understand that I have the freedom to do that. And I have the freedom to exercise that. Now, Paul sees this, this third group, as, uh, as, as mature. The only problem with it The only problem with it is this. There's one more category for Paul. There is one more category for the Apostle Paul. And that is the really, really mature believer. The really, really mature believer. And here's the difference. The third group, the mature believer, eats the meat because they realize it's nothing. But the really, really mature believer does not eat it. Look at verses nine through 13, and here's the reason why. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not what does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened? Isn't that an interesting word? It means encouraged. It it literally means pushed. Won't he be pushed back in to that lifestyle? To eat what's been sacrificed to idols. So this weak brother for whom Christ has died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against your brother in this way and wound their weak conscience, what does he say? You sin against Christ. You sin against Christ. Here it is, folks. Here it is. In the Corinthian church, they had so much conflict. They had so much disunity. They were a dog-eat-dog type of existence. And that's why the Apostle Paul goes on and says, You cannot save a hand. The eye body part can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And you can't say, the, the foot body part can't say to the hand body part that I don't need you. And that's why the Apostle Paul later on says, there is no spiritual gift that is better to it than another spiritual gift. Because there is conflict in this church. And he wants them to understand, it's not about me. Do you understand? Let me see if I can explain it even better. The first group, unbeliever, immature believer, they eat the meat. And their freedom often leads them to slavery and sin. The second group, they don't eat the meat. They've been freed from sin. But they often get in bondage To rules and regulations. The third group, they eat the meat. They've been free from sin and slavery, slavery of the law. They understand that eating meat, there's nothing to it, sacrifice now. But the fourth group is the most mature group. You know why? Because these folks have been free from the slavery. Are you listening? These folks have been free from the slavery of self and selfishness. You understand? This is the message that you need to understand. You want to know the message of holiness? We call ourselves a holy church. This is it. Not only from sin, but selfishness. faking about what I want and not bearing and not caring a weaker brother I want you to look at chapter 10. Would you flip over to chapter 10 with me right now, please? Look at uh, verse 31. So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Verse 32 do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Verse 33, here is the Apostle Paul's ultimate maturity. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. I'm, a lo- I'm at a loss for words. Can you believe it? <laughs> I know what I want to say, but I can't get it out. We often, we often have to carry the burden of people who are weaker in the faith, people who have weaker conscience, or are people that don't know how to help themselves, are people that are handicapped in how they relate to other people. Right? In how they relate to other people. There are some people that are so idiosyncratic that they don't even think like the, the majority of people. Their thinking is so strange that one plus one to them does not equal two, but equals three. And yet, this is what, this is what God calls us to do. To bear the burden of other people. To get along with people. That are so difficult at times and so different to, to get along with. It'd just be a lot easier just to write them off. It would be just a lot easier just to say, Get out of my life. We all have people that we work with like that. We all have people that we rub shoulders with. We all have next door neighbors like that. And yes, we have some people in the church. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest. We do. You've had them. I've had them. We all have had them. But but what's the alternative? You can't say to the hand. I don't need you. You can't say to the eye body part. I don't need you. You can't say to the foot body. Part, I don't need you. I'm going to close. Years ago, I, I read about an elderly missionary. There was this elderly missionary who got called down river in the Congo in Africa. He spent all of his life as a missionary. His wife has died. He doesn't have any children. And his mission organization says, We want you to go down to the mission down this river in the Congo in Africa and he willingly said yes I'll go and he got on board that old tugboat or whatever it was that boat that was going to take him down to the Congo with a couple of his suitcases and the boat captain a weathered elderly man himself had been around the block a time or two and really a bitter shriveled up person told this missionary, you're going to die for those savages. I give you less than 18 months. And you know what that elderly missionary said back to that boat captain? He said, I already died years ago. I died years ago. I know I died to sin. I know I died to legalism. But I died to selfishness. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together?